Welcome to the Industry Horror Coffin Cast. I am Nathan, and I'm here with cinematographer, actor, and even director uh, Levi Holman. Levi, it's one. It's great to have you here on the Industry Horror Coffin Cast. Well, thank you for setting this up, Nathan. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. We kept on saying we should collaborate, and <laughs> and here we are. I'm. I'm really happy about this. You have no idea. <laughs> the train is rolling. We're on the move. <laughs> so I found out about you uh, while I was volunteering at the Ojai Film Festival, uh, to the 2018 Ojai Film Festival mm-hmm. from El Presidente of the Ojai Film Festival and, and his wife. And I was at uh, the Living Vincent uh, Q&A where they were showing live uh, the couple of people that that were, you know, just showing how they were able to paint for Living Vincent, uh-huh. and 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 the wife noticed that, you know, I had some type of idiosyncrasy, and she goes, "Are you autistic?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> how did you know? <laughs> and she recommended that I uh, check out the movie A Normal Types. She asked if I have seen it. And I said, "No, I haven't seen it yet," and because it was showing for the OI Film Festival as well. Ah, so I decided to uh, use my debit card and spend that to watch normal types. Usually, I wouldn't do that, but since it was how we recommended, and what I liked about normal types is that you show both the positive and negative aspects. It wasn't yeah. one far extreme like the magical, you know, X Men type, yeah, <laughs> kind of thing, <laughs> or or showing like a temper tantrum like every couple of minutes, and so yeah. I, so. That's the reason why I really wanted to uh, talk to you. Uh, well, thanks today. for pulling out your debit card, man. I appreciate that. We <laughs> we appreciate we we needed a full screening. We got almost close to a full screening, so that was awesome that that we had so many people show up. We really appreciate that. So, comes to my next question: uh, what, what inspired you to make normal types? That is a okay. Let's see. We're we're in a long format, but I'm not going to try to do too long of an answer on this one. Um, the long story short-ish is that uh, my ex-girlfriend had a cousin who uh, went misdiagnosed for a lot of years, and uh, he kept getting kicked out of school, and they said he was a behavioral, um, you know, he was an issue, and uh, he had really bad grades, and no one at the school, this was out in, um, I think, the Pomona area. Oh, wow. And um, they just... They kept that they, 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 no one really knew what was going on with them, so they just wanted to write him into a corner and say that he was just a problem child. And um, uh, the family knew better. And I think I, I don't remember all the details of the story, but they finally got him to a specialist, and they found out that he had Asperger's, and they got him, you know, the proper education, got him into a different school, and all of a sudden his life improved. He went from being this uh, quote unquote like bad kid to. Um, to uh, actually starting to do do much better in society. So when we were down in Louisiana uh, working as volunteers after Hurricane Katrina, um, I wound up staying in Baton Rouge and working for a film company down there. And they offered me the opportunity to make a movie. And they said, hey, we've got, I think it was like $15,000. And they said, you know, if we gave you $15,000, could you make a feature film? And I went, 
Um, I mean, it's a tall order, but let's give it a shot. And Val pulled out her notebook and started writing some pages and she gave those to me. And then we started elaborating on it and then started kind of grabbing actors that we knew we could get that were living locally so that we didn't have to do too much searching. And we just kept everything really simple. And that's how kind of like normal type started. Um, we met, uh, Grant and Connor Wascom who were, uh, 15 at the time, twin brothers, and they both had Asperger's and we started spending time with them. And we started kind of like basing the script a little bit on Val's cousin who was kicked out of school. And then Grant and Connor, a lot of the lines in the movie are things that we heard Grant and Connor say, um, a lot of their mannerisms and, and little quirks and things that, you know, give them the cool personalities they have. Um, that was a huge part of the movie. So yeah, and it was a great, it was a really great educational experience because I knew almost nothing about, uh, you know, the Asperger's autism spectrum before starting working on the script. That is really a mouthful of a lot of interesting facts. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to like figure, I could talk for like three hours on it, but I tried to figure out how to like just bring it down just a tad. Yeah, because a lot of people have attention spans of goldfish these days. That is very true. <laughs> if you can't say it in less than a minute, you're probably going to get X'd out on the internet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, was, I was diagnosed when I was around three years old, and the bizarre part was uh, when I was one and a half, I was able to speak. I, my, first, my first words, or I, I should say sentence, was, there he is, and wow. it was at... It was at a fire station in Nevada, which at which back then I thought it was, you know, I was at the Pacific View Mall and and there was a there was a Santa, you know, during the holiday season and say like, there he is <laughs> at one and a half at one and a half wow. and then I didn't speak <clears throat> for another year and a half and my parents got a little bit worried because I didn't speak for a year and a half. So wow. So they, it was a frightening time for my parents. Yeah. And and at the time, it wasn't really autism, but they diagnosed me as pervasive attention disorder, which uh, later on eventually became ADHD or ADD. Yeah. I mean, I went to three different doctors. One said, you have uh, Asperger's, and another one said, you have ADHD, and another one said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Yeah, you got to be careful Western medicine. Some of these folks, I mean, I think their intentions are really pure, but we're in a huge transitional period where there's a lot of new information. And a lot of the, the bottom line is a lot of times if, it, if, if it's not profitable, it's not looked at or looked into as much. And people want to, um, you know, they want to pay their bills. And the way they pay their bills in the medical industry is by selling medication. And yeah, that's the unfortunate part. Yeah. So if they can put you on a lot of different medications, they can make a lot of money. And that's the simple part. Uh, don't get me started with medicine. Yeah. All that I had to go through, like, like this milligram here of... Of like this blue pill, like and I have to take half of it, and then the other one was an orange pill, and then uh, I'm so glad that I decided not to be put on medication anymore because it was just really messing with my head. That's it, good. You're off all, everything. Yeah, I'm off everything. Wow. It really messed with my head, yeah. including I. 
I was starting to get even depressed and yeah. even thoughts of, well, you know. Yeah. It was, but the reason why I kept on taking, because I couldn't focus on one thing. And there were six classes, you know, six different classes, you know, back in high school. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. No, I'm no longer in high school. That's why I'm like, I don't need this. I'm doing, I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm not at school anymore. I don't, yeah. I don't need it. I, I don't need it. And there was actually a point when I went to vase. I, I, I said this. I, I said, okay, let's go a whole month without the medicine. If I do very well in school, I'm cutting it off for good. And the bizarre part was not only did I have great grades, but later on I ended up becoming, uh, you know how people have employee of the month? Well, we had student of the month, so I ended up being student of the month. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. So I was like, you know, I, I don't need you anymore. Good deal. That's awesome, man. That's really good because there's so many people out there that believe from parents to people who get diagnosed, they believe that's the only way. And that's just not true. Sometimes you just uh, need to be in a quiet place. That's what I do, mm -hmm. especially if you, because because if you if you are in an environment and there's overwhelming of everything like sounds and smells, uh, sometimes you just need to go outside. Take sometimes you just need to take a deep breath or do a little bit of meditation. Yeah, and and that's pretty much. Mostly all you need and make sure to maybe eat a little bit more healthier and, you know, you it's not as obvious. Yeah. <laughs> What's your diet like? What do you eat? Uh, peanut butter pretzels. Peanut butter pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's the good. That's the healthy stuff. Yeah, peanut butter pretzels. Uh, sometimes I eat some <clears throat> meat now and then. I, I've been eating more vegetables than I did when I was a kid. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I was I was missing out, especially stream beans. Those yeah. are really good. Yeah, there's a great documentary that just came out with a lot of people. There's a, a little girl in there who is heavily autistic, and she was about six years old when they shot this, and she didn't speak at all. And they they took her from a processed food diet over to eating completely organic, mostly fruits and vegetables. Oh, really? And within five weeks, she started talking. Wow. Yeah. That our diet is such a huge factor, and I won't say with every single person no, it's all no, the same. It, but no, it, <laughs> every autism is different. Yes. Just because you met one, you haven't met all, and mm -hmm. and that's the stereotype. Everyone thinks if you met one, you have met them all. No, not exactly. No. We're all all different. One one might be more animation obsessed, and another one will be a little bit more sports obsessed. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> My buddies, Grant, Grant and Connor, they loved uh, Family Guy and Sonic Hedgehog. They knew every single de detail about the video game and the Family Guy. Wow. Uh, what, what was their response to the Sonic Hedgehog trailer? <laughs> oh, I, did, I haven't talked to them since that came out, but I would love to know what they think about it because, yeah, I haven't talked to them in a little bit, so I need to... <laughs> I need to get their thoughts on that one. <laughs> well, actually, the, the director actually sent an immediate response to people saying, okay, we heard you. You guys don't like the Sonic design. I tell you what, we're going to do everything we can to fix it fast. Uh, we do appreciate the criticism, and we're going to get our animators to work and have it be the exact exact Sonic, but at the same time, like their own Sonic in yeah. a way, like, like culminate together. <clears throat> 
and be the best of both worlds for both the fans and what they had in mind. So they're working on that as we speak yeah. right now. So Well, you can't make everyone happy, so that's going to be a fun one because yeah. you can't appease all of the masses. There's always going to be groups that just hate whatever you do. Boy, I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. As a filmmaker, you get pulled over the coals a couple times and you just can't make everyone happy. So you got to make yourself happy first. And hopefully there's people out there that like what you have to say. Where did you film for normal types? And, and if you want to add a, also godsend a your upcoming movie as well. Oh yeah. The first, so when we shot normal types, we were in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So we tried to focus on locations as close to the production office as possible, just cause we didn't have money to, for travel and all that stuff. Right. So mostly everything was shot in and around Baton Rouge. Uh, the main house we shot out on Florida, which is kind of like driving out of town towards Denham Springs for anybody that's down in Baton Rouge. Um, one of uh, the guys that helped us on the film, his name was Jody Sims, great guy. Uh, his uncle had passed away and in Louisiana, a lot of times when people pass away, they just go over to their house and they lock the door and just let it let it fall apart and oh, really? so you'll find tons of houses in louisiana or you know in the south where people just don't know what they're going to do with the house they don't want to sell the possessions of their the, their loved one who passed away so we opened up the house and it was filled with all the things we needed for the movie we just had to do some cleaning and rearranging so that house that we used was a fully functional place uh that like i mean also our cinematographer brian Koss. Uh, great dude, and a couple other people who had come in from L.A., they slept there at night, um, or either that back at my apartment. And so we used it as a shooting house, as a, you know, a place for everybody to sleep who was in from out of town. Uh, and then we also shot out in Pure Part, which is about a, almost an hour outside of Baton Rouge, out in the swamps. And that's where, when you see a lot of the swamp stuff, it's supposed to look like it's all in the same neighborhood, but it's actually like 45 minutes away, like, you yeah. know, out in the sticks. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh yeah, in Godson we shot uh, mainly in downtown Los Angeles and up here in Ojai. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, did you have a favorite scene for normal types or, or any of the movies that you've worked on, whether you're actor or cinematographer or director? You know, for normal types, w one of my favorite, like one of my most memorable scenes uh, was with uh, our actor Lawrence Turner, who played the father, the alcoholic dad. And um, Lawrence uh, is, he's still in New Orleans. And the the father is kind of half based on my dad and half based on my ex-girlfriend's dad and oh, really? yeah and uh the night we shot the move the the scene where um he decides to stop drinking um i was really i like i started crying i was uh, i was inside and the rest of the crew was outside shooting everything and i was inside with the monitor by myself and where he made this decision to stop drinking was like really big for me because it was kind of always what i wanted my dad to do and mm -hmm. I was sitting in the house in the dark looking at this little monitor, like just crying my eyes out. Um, and I think as filmmakers, that's those kind of things that we're looking to put into movies is stuff that really heavily affects us. And that, you know, it's the things that we are, um, we're striving to see the best in people. We want to see big changes in folks that are flawed and we know they want to change. And it's a matter of, you know, the question of 
figuring out if they're actually or are are they actually going to change and for most movies that's what we're kind of looking for is those those mo- moments of uh, ultimate truth and for normal types that was definitely the scene that stuck out for me um for godsend who man it's a heavy film so there's a lot of heavy scenes and uh one of our reshoot days our one of our actors uh christian leffler who plays uh uh, kind of one of the leaders of the cult. Um, he had a day where we had all of these things that we just didn't shoot the first time around. So we went through and I had him run the gambit of some of the hardest things to do. He had to pretend to kill the other cult leader so that he could be the guy that kind of runs the show. So, you know, he smothers this old older guy, uh, Buddy Wilde's local actor. He s- smothers his face and kind of suffocates him. Um Politics in a nutshell. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Choke you out so that I get the job. And um, and then we had him, we did a lot of suggestive stuff that he like, you know, that he abuses children. So we had him like reading a Bible on a bed with a little girl li- watching him. And then we had a simulated scene where he's abusing, um, you know, one of our, our main actors. And it was just a very heavy day for him and watching him you know, over the course of like 12 hours, go through this emotional gambit where he plays this really dark, screwed up character. Um, That one really stood out to me because um, it was just a lot of gears for him to do all in one day. And um, I think he was really like, he realized that he was capable of a lot more as an actor, but I don't think he would want to do that same kind of day again. (laughs) So but it was fun to watch. Are there any funny stories behind the scenes uh, during one of your shoots? Uh, any any movie? Because I bet Godsend, like after you filmed some of those heavy scenes, I bet everyone could have used a laugh or something like that. Yeah, there's. I mean, one of the things that stands out to me in normal types, and still, I, I, we have it in the footage somewhere. But um, we did this shot out in the field uh, where the two girls are trying to hold hands, and when they start holding hands, they're like, "Oh my gosh, it feels like it's burning." Do you remember that scene? Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, oh, okay, you know, let's stop yeah. touching, you know, stop touching each other's hand now. Um, Brian, our DP, had put an apple box down, and unbeknownst to him, he had dropped it on a um, fire ant pile, and oh. so as they're shooting that scene, the ants were crawling up the apple box and wound up crawling. A bunch of them wound up crawling into his pants, and oh, no. and the scene. That I think I'm if I think it's the one that we actually used in the movie. And right after the girls split, and I said cut, Brian jumps up and he starts screaming, and he's pulling all of his clothes off, and he's like fire ants, fire ants, and he jumps out, and everybody's like thought he was kidding, but he had actually put this apple box right on top of a fire ant pile. And, you know, he's running around. He's just in his boxers at this point, uh, if I remember right. And he's just pulling all these little fire ants off him. They're just all biting them. I'm sorry. I don't know. Are we allowed to cuss on this? But um, uh, there will be like two different versions if you feel comfortable. There will be an explicit version. Yeah. So everybody can, uh, you know, older can listen to. And then there will be a clean version. There we so. go. All right. Well, I'll try to keep it limited. Um, no, it's fine. You, you should have heard the first episode of the podcast. <laughs> you have no idea how many times that was. Uh, that was pretty hard to try to, you know, cut it down and then try yeah. to not have the word be said, but put in a different word that way people would know. But at the same time, the kids wouldn't understand what is being said. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. You just take a little, little bites at a time. Yeah, little, just little tiny bites, bites at a time on the GarageBand. Yep. Yeah, there you go. That's what I use when I edit these things. GarageBand does a fantastic job for these. Yeah, I think everybody's going a little bit too fancy. I mean, I don't have a problem with Adobe. I learned a lot about Adobe, especially Audacity, but yeah. GarageBand just keeps it simple. Do you want this cut? Yes, I want that cut. Yep, exactly. Do you want that split? Yes, I want that split. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just man. keeps it simple. Oh, yeah. To the point, which I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. So... What is Godsend about? Uh, Godsend is kind of based on part of my life uh, in that my family, um, without us actually understanding what was going on, we became members of a church that turned out to be a uh, big cult in the 90s. Oh. Yeah. And um, I'm still not sure. They're still around, so I don't... like. I don't want to say the name. Yeah, I, but, I can completely um, understand that. <laughs> I don't think there's anybody necessarily that would like come after us because it's not. This is a this is a a movie that's based on, and part of it's based on my experience with this church that uh, my family was a member of for you know a few years, and also uh, John Krakauer's book Under the Banner of Heaven, which is oh, about okay. yeah, yeah, you know that one, right? Yeah. Um, the FLDS cult, uh, Warren Jeffs, who wound up going to jail for polygamy, um, and a lot of other things. I can't remember all the charges, but he just basically touches kids and has a lot of wives yeah. and did a lot of really weird yeah, stuff. So, okay. Yeah, I think people get it. Yeah, so we, we basically – the movie is kind of based on that world, and we built this fictional church called Godsend. Um, and it takes a lot of FLDS, uh, ideologies and just, it's, it's more of a movie. It's not anti-church. It's much more about anti-ideology and, and, um, taking, you know, the word of God or, uh, you know, the American flag or what have you and, and creating your own rule set and then leaning on the name of God as your backbone and saying that, you know, if you don't do what I say, um, God won't like you or God will do bad things to you or us in the church, et cetera. It's a way of controlling people. And we all need to be incredibly mindful of how we are influenced, um, both with, um, you know, the, the, the religions, uh, that are around, uh, our own government, uh, and ask questions and, um, and, and, and feel free with things don't align with your values to speak up about them because more, more than likely there's a lot of other people that feel the same way. Um, I grew up really religious and now my, my law and my rule in my life is that, you know, do whatever it is that you want, as long as you aren't out harming other people in the process, it's okay. You know, and we've got this, you know, like all these shootings and, you know, just the most recent one with this, uh, this white Christian guy who walks into a synagogue and starts killing Jewish people. And it turns out that he is a Christian and he believes that uh, I don't, I won't go into all the details, but it's just, he takes his ideology and all of a sudden decides that his ideas and faith and all that stuff are better than anyone else's. And therefore, uh, he has dominion over them and he has this right to walk into a church and mow people down. And that mindset of, uh, uh, of anything that we, um, hold to be so sacred and true 
should only have to do with love and preservation of life and respecting each other. And if it derives from that, then these organizations need to be like <clears throat> questioned thoroughly and moved away from at best. So that's what God sends about. <laughs> As I said, politics in a nutshell. <laughs> yep. It's all micro to macro. If you can yeah. find it in the little tiny corners of the world, you can see it on the bigger scale and you'll understand why it works the way it works. Yeah, I mean, especially people really get into ideology. It's not just, you know, sometimes it even gets... I think the difference for, for sports is that for some, it, it can be friendly, but people can easily get carried away to think that it's more important. And Absolutely. Just because someone's wearing a different color jersey, all of a sudden they you can beat them up. Um, I've seen these videos recently of these guys taunting black athletes in uh, some of these soccer uh, matches and you know, making monkey gestures and all that stuff. And what we all have to do, especially as white people, is we have to um, stand very heavily against that behavior um, because it should not be tolerated in any way, shape, or form. I just don't. Like, I'm so tired of seeing it because it's the year 2019, not 1950. Yeah, it's 2019, but it feels like we have the... Mentality of 1950s in a way, or 1850 for that matter. You know, 1850. What's yeah. what are we doing? Like we need to like we all need to grow up. We all need to evolve a little bit more. Has and anyone not learn from what <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. said? Yep, yep. Never judge by the person of their color, but by the content of their character. That's a pretty good MLK man. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, no one misconstrues that as racism. <laughs> Yeah, I sometimes uh, do some uh, voices. I even sometimes uh, on this uh, podcast uh, and in my past podcast, which was called Be Rolling Over. So I guess it was meant to be with industry horror. Yeah. I make a podcast called Be Rolling Over, and I ended up working for a place called Industry Horror. Nice. Who chose that name, by the way? What, Industry Horror? Yeah. I I think it was uh, Ryan. Ryan DeCant. Ryan is yeah. the creator... And because he wanted to give, <clears throat> he I, what he told me uh, in the first episode of the podcast. By the way, uh, please do listen once you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. Please listen to the first episode of the podcast uh, called "What Is Industry Horror All About?" Oh, there we go. Perfect. That gives all the answers. <laughs> so what he told me was he wanted to give like kind of. A, a punk rock feel mm -hmm. and you know don't judge by the name of it you know don't judge a book by its cover so yeah. just because we're industry horror doesn't you know and not the other word everybody for some strange <laughs> industry horror with an h and not a w yep <laughs> <laughs> so what he because he enjoyed a, a horror, uh, he enjoyed horror, so he, he enjoyed, a, you know, th those classic uh, monster movies mm -hmm. and, and the monster movies, some of those slasher flicks, uh, both he and Davina enjoyed horror, and so they put horror, and, well, it was an industry, so industry horror, but... Boom. 
but you'll get a more detailed answer in the first episode of the Industry Horror Coffin Cast. Of what is Industry Horror all about? There we go. Well, your T-shirt is quite amazing. I don't even. I'm usually pretty good at interpretive stuff, but you've got like pyramids that look like eyeballs and spinal columns with a tongue coming through the middle of it that all make some kind of abstract looking face. Um, it's supposed to be Daffy Duck. No, oh, now I see it. Yeah. yeah oh my gosh. Daffy Duck. Wow. Yeah, it's Daffy Duck. I've been staring at it the whole time, and I was like, "What the heck is that thing?" Yeah, it is. It's totally this weird abstract version of Daffy Duck. Yeah, that makes sense. Who does that? Who designed that? Uh, Ryan. Same guy. Yeah, nice Ryan. work. It's it's like one of those uh, not Rorschach pictures, but like one of those ones where you twist it and all of a sudden yeah. it, you can see something totally different in it yeah very cool yeah it's a it's an obscure daffy duck i like it that's yeah. very awesome yeah. all right what else we got well obviously you told the message that you wanted to convey for godsend but what is the message you wanted to convey in normal types uh well, first of all, we with the two lead characters who both have Asperger's, we wanted them to be on um, kind of different spectrums in, to a certain degree in that one is very okay with not sticking – with not following the industry standards and she does it her own thing. And the other one is incredibly desperate for acceptance. Um, and through the whole film, it's kind of like a dual antagonist-protagonist situation where they kind of help each other change – um, through the course of events, um, and they find kind of a middle ground. And I think that's what it really is about as far as like on a human level. And then to the other degree, what we really wanted to do is make a movie that is a, it's not a movie about Asperger's. It's about people. And those people just happen to have Asperger's. Like it could have just been a normal film, um, and I think that that's like a really important part of the dynamic of that movie is that um, we need to look at each other as people, not, oh, this person has autism or Asperger's just the same way as like, oh, that person's black. Oh, that person's white. Oh, that person's missing an appendage. Like it shouldn't it should bear no difference. We're all just humans. Look at the person, not the label. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, how long did it take to film for Normal Types and Godsend? Whew. Okay, for Normal Types, uh, it was 17 days. That was it. Wow. Yeah. We, um, I thought it was long. It, it would, because the way with the cinematography and some of the shots, it, it seemed that it would have took maybe a, a month or two. I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I wish we had that much time. Yeah. It. I mean, hats off again to uh, Brian Koss, who um, has a pretty awesome career now. He's been doing a lot of bigger movies. And um, I saw he did a movie that went to the Sundance Film Festival this year, which oh, is nice. awesome. I forgot the name of it or I'd say it. But um, Brian... We pushed each other pretty hard, and Brian and I both had a couple of uh, mental breakdowns on the film because we pushed so hard to get this thing done because, again, we only had a certain amount of money, and everyone could only be in town for that two and a half weeks. So Brian came from L.A. to Baton Rouge, and he brought his friend Dave Mutchler, who brought his red camera, 
and we had an out day. I think they needed to be flying out by like the 18th. Brian was getting married a few weeks later uh, in Charleston. Uh, so he needed to fly back to LA, do his last things for his wedding and then fly out to Charleston to get married. And so we were just super pressed on time. Um, there was the, the and so Brian moved very quickly. Uh, and then the two lead actors with, with, with Valerie and, uh, Jessica Gutierrez, um, they had on the days where we had heavy dialogue, they had days where they were up to like 10, 12 pages of dialogue. Um, and most for, for anybody who doesn't understand filmmaking, um, a heavy day of dialogue is usually two to three pages. Um, the, 10, 10 pages of dialogue is insanity and 10 pages of dialogue on, you know, days on end is just like unheard of. And those girls rarely, rarely messed up lines. It was like, I could probably count on my hand the times they messed up lines because they both are just so good at memorizing and staying in their characters. Wow. So yeah, and then Godsend. <laughs> Godsend's a different one. We shot originally for I think it was 17 days. And then I got my first edit a few months later and I was really not happy with it and had to go back to the drawing board and realize that I needed a lot of other pieces and we kind of rebuilt the movie from scratch three different times. Uh so it took a couple years. Um I won't go into all the details, but it was quite frustrating, but now I'm really happy with the end product and I think people who see the film are going to get it now, so. I mean, the, the way that you described it with uh, Brian, uh, Brian Crass, is that you said? Koss, K-O-S-S. Oh, Brian Koss. That could be a movie by itself, you know, making a film and then he has a wedding and, you know, Oh, yeah. That could be a great rom-com right there. <laughs> get him to Charleston. Uh, yeah, Brian was a great sport. His wife, Kristen, they've now been married for a quite a, a couple years um she was so cool in letting him come out to baton rouge because you know he was trying to get his dp reel together and i didn't have money to pay him i was just like hey man we can shoot a feature down here and i've got all the locations and we got a great script and he's like yeah because he hadn't shot a feature yet so that kind of like got his feet wet in that area and um thank god for that because that dude he shot a heck of a movie. He did a great job. And the simplicity of it um, is so hard to get right on the screen. And people will never understand when you have an entirely green crew, which we had. Brian and I were kind of the only ones with real feature experience or, you know. Um, have actually worked on a, at least uh, some type of a feature film. Yeah. The majority of everybody that was on that set um, – it was their first feature film or, oh, really? or, you know, they'd only been in the industry a little bit. Um, so Brian and I were often, you know, defaulting to just kind of like running the show. We were constantly asking ourselves a question, you know, should I explain to this person how to do this, how to, you know, um, um, put, um, you know, put how to gel a window as opposed to just going and gel in the window on our own. Um, just because we were dealing with a lot of people that were just new and nothing against them. You know, it's just a time thing. If you got 12 hours in the day and you're trying to shoot 10 pages, you got to move fast. Yeah. So. I mean, I, they, they could have gone to a, a trade school like I did, uh, learn all of that and then just, <laughs> Oh yeah. Louisiana is a weird place because the tax credit hit and all of a sudden, people who were like, you know, working at Quickie Marts and 
you know, pumping gas at the gas station, got offered PA jobs, and they'd go on and they'd PA for one movie, and then all of a sudden someone would offer a, a job in the business because no one there knew what was going on. So all of a sudden you've got people with almost zero experience that are department heads. And on a film, people become department heads in L.A. after working for years and years under people who have done big projects and understand how to, you know, navigate and get things done in a timely manner, under budget, in a good way. And in Louisiana, they just didn't have any infrastructure like that. So it was kind of like the Wild West all over again in the in the film world. Oh. I did not know that about Louisiana. <laughs> uh, what was the reason you wanted to be part of the entertainment industry? Whew, that is a great question, man. I was in art school in the 90s in Phoenix, and a friend of mine, I had mentioned something about like wanting to be an actor, and my friend said, oh, they're, they're uh, auditioning for this movie that's shooting in Phoenix. You should audition for it. And I went in and I auditioned and I, you know, I'm, I assume I was probably pretty bad because I hadn't had an acting class or whatever. And I did a monologue. Really? From, you didn't take an acting class? No, I, this is like, I was in art school. I was just barely out of high school. And um, I did a monologue from, I think that movie Fear with uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon and Mark Wahlberg's. Um, Mark Wahlberg did this crazy scene where he's, you know, the girl's looking through the peephole or the dad's looking through the peephole and he's kind of having a freak out. And I did that, and I was screaming in the camera in the audition, and I had no idea what the rules of auditions were, and I was running all over the room and just being a maniac, and somehow I got the part. They tr they, I, I, I think those people were more insane than I was for giving me that role, but the movie never came out. I never saw, an, an, I never saw any footage. Oh. I assume it was really bad. It was probably really bad, but anyway, <laughs> I loved acting, <laughs> so within the next year and a half... Um, I, uh, I, I think I saved like $1,500 and moved to Los Angeles to start doing like non-union extra work for like $30 a day. Um, it was enough to like buy top ramen and pay for my YMCA membership in Burbank. And that was it, man. I just loved being on set. I thought it was so awesome and cool and magical. And, you know, as time in LA went by, you know, you work with a lot of people that are less than fun and they try to kind of like throw a wet blanket on your dreams, but <clears throat> you got to just avoid those people at all costs and just keep moving towards what you want and, and, and get your projects done. Absolutely. Uh, originally I wanted to be a sports announcer. So I even went to some uh, summer camps where it was the scholastic play by play. Yeah. And I learned, I learned some things and I, and my parents just wanted, you know, wanted me to give me that opportunity because they because they said the worst case scenario you find out, okay, you're not good at it and or you you're not as interested as you thought you would be. But man, I, I felt I was great at it. Yeah. And I and it was a rarity because they mostly had it in the East Coast. So I traveled all the way from California to Philadelphia and yeah. Baltimore. Uh, let's just say sometimes kids can be cruel. Yeah. Uh, they were thinking I was like Hollywood or something in a weird way. Yeah. Because California equals pretty much Hollywood, I guess. Oh, wow. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand that conclusion. California is more than just, so pretty much if I went back there, they might 
equate me the Silicon Valley, maybe. Ah, <laughs> interesting. Oh, yeah, that's Instead right. Instead of Hollywood. You're a tech nerd now? Yeah. <laughs> you should see that documentary. It's uh, about this guy. I'm wanting to say his name's like Moro Manalo or something like that. He's an Italian guy, but he um, he calls big fights. He did UFC. He called the Conor McGregor. Um, um, what's that loudmouth boxer's name? I can't even Floyd think. Floyd Mayweather? Yeah, Mayweather, that guy. Um, he called that fight. And anyway, it's um, he is a really interesting guy, and I think he might be a little bit on the spectrum. Um so you might really enjoy the documentary because he's a super smart guy, um, and it's all about how he fights depression and still manages to move forward with his career, and really interesting guy. You can follow him on Instagram, too, if I could just remember how to spell his name right, but it's Moro Manalo, or if you just look up fight announcer for Mayweather, yeah. um, McGregor yeah. fight. I mean, that's what Google is for. Thank you, you Google. Going. Yeah, Google <laughs> makes it easier. Thank you, tech nerds from Silicon Valley for inventing Google. Yeah. So you pretty much defined you knew the moment you wanted to act, but what was the moment you knew that you wanted to do besides acting a director or sound engineer or cinematographer? Um, let's see. That's a great question, Nathan. I've never been asked that before. When did I really? know? I, I, I thought you would get asked more of those questions <laughs> at those film festivals. You know, you'd be surprised, man. Not that many people want to hear anything from me, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> It's part of, you know, it's people are very self involved nowadays. So it's like um, every now and then you get to speak on stuff, but it's most, of the, but most of the time things move so quickly. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm wandering. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Take, <laughs> take all the time. I'll, I'll just do boom. That's, that's why I call my, uh, my web, uh, my podcast Tangent. It's called Tangent Levi because Tangent Levi. I just run off in all kinds of different directions at once. When did I want to, you know, I was, I had an acting coach when I first moved to Hollywood or LA and lived in Burbank and, um, uh, her name's Christine McClure, uh, Ellie McClure, uh, fantastic coach. One of the toughest chicks I've ever been in a, in a, a room with. And, um, we, uh, she started a program through the LA film school when the LA film school was getting going back in the early two thousands. And, um, <clears throat> She was teaching a class on teaching cinematographers and directors how to work with actors. And I started going to these classes, and w w it was like an exchange program where uh, us actors from acting class who were just putting up scenes in this little dark theater in North Hollywood would go down to the L.A. Film School, and we would uh, work with these students who were uh, budding cinematographers and directors, and um, Christine McClure would teach them how to work with actors to get the performances they wanted. Because in film school, most of the time, they teach you how to light and they teach you how to use the editing machines and the cameras and all that stuff. But they don't teach you how to work with people. And at the end of the day, the mechanics of how people interact with each other is a huge piece of how movies get made. So we would go down and we'd do these classes. And so I got to be friends with some of the, you know, the newer directors and cinematographers. And I became friends with a, a, a 19 year old, uh, Brandon Trost, um, who for anybody who's like a, 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 a cinephile or a movie buff will know who that guy is. Um, he shot movies like, you know, the interview with James Franco and Seth Rogen. He shoots Barry, um, that TV show on, I think it's Showtime. Yeah, um, it's Showtime. 
Yeah, with Bill Hader. Yeah. Um, and Brandon, I just really, really liked him from the beginning. And I said, I, I saw that most everyone else that I was working with just didn't really understand what they were doing. And Brandon just had a very innate sense of what to do. Uh, he never really wanted to direct. He pretty much only wanted to DP. He didn't really talk to people. He was really big into lighting and camera movement. Um, but I really liked Brandon. So we started working on some stuff, and I did some other projects with him. And then I did my first short film, and I wanted to direct it. And I just said, would you shoot this? Because I have no effing idea how to shoot or light or do any of that. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And so he stole a camera, a 16-millimeter camera from the L.A. Film School, and um, I saved up enough money to buy film for it, and we shot my first short film. And I really liked being behind the camera and kind of being a, a cheerleader for other actors, um, really trying to figure out how to coach them into a position emotionally where they could get out the performances that, 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 that they knew they were capable of. And um, being able to be a coach and help people through sometimes those really hard emotional things was just it really made me happy. It was really cool getting to see this handful of people all kind of like doing their best work and that's what I what really attracted me to making movies was was kind of being that cheerleader for the actors. I'm I'm just wowed. I'm just I'm just <laughs> amazed. That's a great answer. Really? Oh, thanks, yeah. man. Sometimes your silence. I go. Wait, did he think that? Does that sucked? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Uh, I've actually uh, worked on a couple of a sh couple of short films. Uh, one I got to voice. Uh, cool. I, I, I saw it on a Facebook post. It was out of all the odds. This was before I realized the downside of Facebook. But <laughs> I, I, I saw the... And... So I, I saw that they were still looking for... They, they had this long list. They had... It was it was called Star Racer, and a, a shout out to a wonderful director, Tora Badalescu, wonderful uh, director, and even to, darn it, I I know his name, but they uh, they both uh, she got married to the person that helped me uh, do the voiceover. Oh, cool. And 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 I feel sorry that I forgot your name. My bad. <laughs> All good. And they had announcer, and I sent a message. Are you still looking for an announcer? Are you still doing auditions? And it's and they said, yeah, we're still doing auditions. And I explained because they were doing auditions all the way down in Canoga Park, and I was in Ojai, and I yeah. asked them, can I do a, a Skype audition? Yeah. So they said, yeah, sure, uh, we could do that. So. So I, I did that. They they just asked me, you know, just do any any voice that sounds like that. Welcome to Space Track Adrenaline Racing, only on TBTA, for the first time in the history of human <laughs> beings. Nice. We have Daisy and in, in our ship, the Red Snap Dragon. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, man, if we have a movie coming up where we need anything in that realm, I'm absolutely calling you up because I. it sounds like if we let you roll, you're just going to be able to kind of like go with anything. And that sounds awesome. 
Yeah, that's one of my strengths, imagination. Like, whatever. I could sound like this. Or maybe sound like this. <laughs> this is Cajun country, you understand here, boy? <laughs> we could get you on. Oh, I wish True Blood was still on TV, man. Could have gotten you on True Blood. Uh, of course, as long as it does not interfere with my wonderful work of silkscreen printing at Industry Horror. Industryhorror.com? Yeah, industryhorror.com. Industryhorror.com. Love that place. Yeah. I enjoy every minute of it. I don't want to imagine, you know, a day that I... I mean, it, it was it was scary because... I mean, I had all these skills, and, and it seemed that it would most likely lead to I would work at as a dishwasher or yeah. work with food, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, but I felt that there was more. Yeah. I wanted to find work that was creative to entertain mm-hmm. and would have multiple opportunities not just you know just at work but outside of work as well yeah and that's industry horn nutshell also helping out in the community so that way we could get uh, more businesses and hopefully we'll be able to get those bigger projects i would enjoy uh, working on a championship shirt you know let's say somehow the dodgers won the world series i mean after going maybe looks like they might go five straight world series and not win oh my gosh that's amazing. I, I, I don't know. It feels like they might be on that track. I'm just worried that that's the case. You know, it, it will feel like purgatory for Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, we get to the World Series, but we just somehow can't find a way to win. It's and, like the Buffalo Bills back in like the late 80s or 90s. They went no, to like they, five. They only, have lost, they only have lost two straight now, but I just have a good feeling. <laughs> you think it's going to be five? Five <laughs> straight for some strange reason. And we lose to one of the most bizarre teams besides... Boston Red Sox uh, made sense the last season because they had a heck of a season. They yeah. had that team, you know, well, you know, well put together, and they weren't really just focused on just hitting dingers. They were yeah. more about base running and and even outfielding as well. Yeah, and especially having a decent bullpen. Dodgers did not. Had that in that World Series. Oh man! Hey, do you remember a guy named uh, Javi Guerra? He was one of the pitchers. Uh, that sounds familiar. He 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 played for the Dodgers. I think uh, for he played for like nine years with them as a uh, as a relief. Anyway, he's a buddy of ours. Nice guy. Oh, really? He's a really cool guy. We met him randomly on vacation, and he wound up like buying us dinner one night, and we went out for drinks with him and his girlfriend at the time, and he just kind of became this buddy for like a week uh, while we were on vacation, and like he is one of the nicest dudes. He even got us tickets to one of the Dodger games. Oh, really? Yeah, we went out and watched him, uh, went out and watched him pitch against, I can't remember who they played, but um, yeah, it was a great, it was good. He's a good dude. I forget who he's playing. I think he's playing in like Canada now. I feel like he's playing for like uh, the Blue Jays. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's the only Canada team. Is that the only Canada baseball. team? I think he is at yeah. For I think, baseball. Yeah, yeah. I think he is in Toronto now. But I love Javi. He's a great dude. <laughs> I just realized I got a little bit out of track. I was explaining. Uh, There's no such I, thing. This is your show, man. You get to go wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, they gave me. There's a reason why they gave me the, 
you know, I, I get to, it's just wonderful that I'm able to use the skills that I learned from Vase, which I learned a lot about Adobe. I, I did audio sweetening for some of the shows. Uh, there was uh, Get Moving TV and yeah. Schmooze with Suze. They, oh, nice. They, they make sure we, we did shows. And and the one time I directed a a show, uh, it, it was bizarre because... Well, we have the we we say flashy blinky lights uh-huh. because that means we are recording. Yeah, recording on the cameras. You know, it all connects together. There are free cameras. So yeah. we have a camera one, camera two, camera three. Of course, you you know this because you you. <laughs> but I'm just explaining it to the folks at home that you know that don't understand about a you know how a TV show. We had a free camera set up. Yeah, and with our lighting. And it all connects together with the cameras. So, so turns out we were recording throughout a whole entire show. And then halfway through, I look, and there were no flashy, blinky lights. Uh-oh. And so I was like, uh, Tim, we're going to have to tell Rich that we weren't recording. Oh, no. At all. Uh-oh. And then Tim was telling Rich, uh, Rich, we weren't recording. And Rich is like, oh, this is a good joke. And I'm like, it, this is not a joke, is it? No. No, it wasn't a joke. Oh. And so all you heard was silence. And the, ca- <laughs> and the camera <laughs> operators were wondering, what is going on behind the wall? Yeah. Oh, wow. So did you guys have to do it again, or what happened? Uh, we had to do it again, but... It ended up working out for the best. It ended up being a better show than the first show. See, it all you gotta just think that the universe is always conspiring in your favor. Sometimes you get lucky. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. That's funny. I am directing this coffin cast, so yeah. mystery horror coffin cast. So that's yeah. a there you go. Start. Yeah. Nice. What am I saying about I'm not directing? I don't know. <laughs> My mind is like, yeah. You're directing your life. We're yeah. all our own directors, so you've yeah. already got a skill set there, buddy. Yeah. So to get back to the uh, Star Racer, so they asked me, have you ever done this before? Because they were wondering if I was an experienced voice actor, which I thought was very flattering, very flattering because I, I never heard that yeah. when I did my auditions for voices. Because the first audition... Uh, there was just, I, I, I go on Behind the Voice Actors. Have you heard of that, Behind the Voice Actors? That name, uh, it sounds familiar. Yeah, so some people uh, for internet projects, uh, they can go on and and, and record uh, if they want to. And there was, and I remember, and this will tie together to, uh, may the fourth be with you. <laughs> Because my first audition was Yoda voice. Do or do not. There is no try. (laughs) And there were other variations uh, on the script. And there was like one other, there were two other people that auditioned. I'm like, I I feel confident, you know, one third chance. Yeah. And then turns out I didn't get it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try another one. And I mostly focused on Batman, especially my thing. Trust me, no matter what happens, it's enough to break a man, any man, like a dead stick. 
Nice. Nice, man. You should put a, together a voice reel where you do a bunch of them. Yeah, I, I've been. Uh, I think I already kind of did. Yeah. But I w- I'm so focused on silkscreen printing, doing everything I can to promote industry horror. There industry you go. horror is a is a wonderful, wonderful place for autistic adults. You know that also want to work as well. It's n- it's yeah. not enough. You know, just you know, you're on the spectrum, but you have. To have the willingness to work as well. Yeah. Industry horror. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. What other questions you got over there? Uh, I, I just want to finish up the story. So they asked. So I asked them, can I do a, a different voice for a star racer? Yeah. And they, they said, sure. So I did kind of like a mix of like, a you know, those TV show hosts and... And I think there was one other voice I had in mind, but I kind of... Right, so the, Welcome to Space Track Adrenaline Racing, only on TVTA, for the first time in the history of human beings. We have Daisy and her ship, the Red Snapdragon. <laughs> so where is this Star Racer? Uh, star Racer's on Vimeo. It is? Oh, yeah, okay. It's, it's on Vimeo. On Vimeo. Oh. And, you did, and you did the voice. Uh, for the announcer. Yeah. For the announcer. All right. Yeah. I'm so, going to check that out. So at the beginning, you actually get to hear my voice. And then later on, they had me uh, try uh, because they wanted the sound, you know. And it looks like Daisy, you know, looks like Daisy's trying to go for that bonus fire loop right there. It's getting close. Coming down to arrival. Number 33. And Daisy wins. Nice. So when you're doing this, do you look? Do you have a picture in your mind, or are you just doing the voice? Do you like I, imagine I, I, you're I, watching I a, it? I have a picture in my mind. Of, uh, they they kind of showed me. They kind of explained what what the clip would be. Yeah. And they they also explained Tommy Askoff. That's his name, Tommy Askoff. Tommy Askoff. Okay. Yeah, Mary. Uh, they're. Married to Tora Badalescu, and I hope they have a lovely and wonderful, long-lasting marriage. They Aww. are both made for each other. That's so sweet of you, Tommy Askoff. Shout yep. out. Yep. <laughs> with, without him, I would probably be a little bit lost with the direction. I mean, announcer, you could just say, uh, just be an announcer. So I was like, and here we go at the bottom of the ninth, and you you gotta be a little bit more specific. You yeah. Know, like, I met an announcer for a race, you know, racetrack. I try to think of a monster, like monster trucks, or NASCAR. Try to yeah. think in that mindset. Because if you just say announcer, I could go, I could just do like, welcome, man. It's football. It's football. And it's like, no, that's that's not what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen that '80s movie, Better Off Dead? With John Cusack? No, I haven't. I think it was one of his first lead roles, and um, he has this character that uh, he always tries to street race with him, and he's an Asian guy who doesn't speak English, but he listens to all these old Howard Cosell sports announcing things. So he's got a loudspeaker, and he's like, this is Howard Cosell. I can't do voices, but anyway, um, you'd like that. It's really a funny little side character through the whole movie. Well, now I know where uh, the kids next door because they literally had a character like that. He was Asian, and he did a Howard Cosell 
impression. So oh. yeah, I guess I now know where the inspiration came yeah, from. Yeah, they for stole that. it from Better Off Dead. That's exactly <laughs> where they got it from. <laughs> That's way too specific to be ran- to not be random. <laughs> or to be random. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a, another uh, short film I well of course later on I found out I got the part for Facebook message and I was so happy I was hugging my dad and I couldn't believe it because I, I did all these like voiceover auditions and I thought I would never get one. Really? Yeah, hmm. because some, you, you have a mentality after you do all those auditions. You go, I thought it was great. And, and when you didn't, but when I got that voice, I, I realized, well, someone sees it out there. Hmm. So if one person sees it, then there'll be many more people, hopefully, that will. Oh, it's a no, it's a number it's a numbers game, man. Yeah. It's always a number. You audition a hundred times to get one job. Yeah. That's usually how the numbers work. Yep. So like I booked a pile of jobs in the end of 2018, and I mean like I think nine, and I haven't gotten one this year. Or I think oh. nope, both of the shoot days I've done are pickup days. No, I booked one job. Sorry, I played yeah. a golfer on Soul Park. Oh uh, yeah. For a, a Bausch and Lomb. Yeah, I saw that on social media. Oh, you yeah. played a golfer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> did you get to meet Tiger Woods afterwards? We did not have Tiger Woods on set that day, unfortunately. Did, did they have a professional golfer no. or an amateur? It was a commercial in that it's presenting the facade of reality, and that's that oh. was it. It was very – it was really quick. I think I we did one shot. I was on set for less than two hours, so it was actually great because they paid me a full day, So, and I only had to work for two hours, so um, thank you very much. Uh, I can't say the name of the company because I signed an NDA. But. Yeah, I, I understand <laughs> that non-disclosure agreement. I understand that. Yeah, but it was fun. And also, so the best part uh, for filmmaking, let, let's say you went to school with somebody and they're like, hey, I'm directing a, a short film. Do you want to be my PA? So that's how I found out about doing Chowsy. He, he said, I'll let you be the PA for uh, the trailer. And if you do a great enough job, uh, well, we'll see from there. Okay. And and you can actually watch that on YouTube. And so I, so I got to do a lot of different parts. Uh, there, there's a there's a scene in the trailer where where the car door shuts and the lights turn off. Mm-hmm. I had to turn off those lights like at the right right timing. Oh yeah, because it was it's kind of a kind of a noir kind of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Shadows of the Illicit, and and I also got to do a voice because you know uh, my buddy uh, director uh, Joe Rago. A uh, shout out to Joe Rago. As well. All right. Because we, we went to VASE together. Uh, we both studied digital multimedia and studio production. Yeah. I mean, I was... He, he was getting close to graduating, and I was kind of starting, but he understood, you know, trying to give everyone an opportunity if there's... And I kept on telling him, if you need me for anything, for uh, if you need a production assistant, just let me know. I'll be happy to help out. Do everything we can to make your project come to fruition. You yeah, know, make it easier instead because he was focusing on you know the budget, having the you know there needs to be someone that they could. Uh, so I kind of helped out with the auditions for for the male characters. So yeah. so I told the the male uh, characters that were auditioning to to I would send them aside. Yeah. You know that way they know what to audition for. 
<clears throat> and then it, it kind of leads, if you can't find an actor to fill in, then usually what usually happens, and this is a lesson for everybody that is a production assistant, if you can't find someone, all that fails, look to your production assistant. Hey, you're here, so can you uh, wear a fedora and bring all these clothes that make it look kind of 1950s and, you know, be one of the bodyguards? Yep. Or... You, you kept on mentioning about you want to do voice acting, right? Well, how about you voice... Can you voice a drunk? <laughs> a drunk person? Because there's a scene where uh, there's like a jiggling of the knob and it's supposed to be in anticipation, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's supposed to kind of be misleading. Yeah. It, it's supposed to be suspense, but then when you hear... Whoops! Sorry! Wrong room. <laughs> and you got to do that voice? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it, man. Which leads to how can people know where to find normal types and godsend? All right. Godsend has not been released yet. We just got our world premiere at um, the uh, IFS in Los Angeles. Yeah which is the independent filmmakers showcase or independent filmmaking show independent filmmaker showcase I believe uh, yeah that sounds about right yeah it's at LA live in downtown LA and uh, it's premiering on May 22nd at 8:30 p.m um, should be uh, some some cool folks there to, sh- to show up some of our quasi famous friends may show up and actually watch it and walk the red carpet and do all that fun stuff. Uh, and then after that, we are going to show it at a festival in Utah uh, called Cine- No, not CineQuest. FilmQuest. FilmQuest. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, FilmQuest is in Provo. Uh, that's in September. I haven't gotten all the details on that yet. And we're still uh, submitting out to some other festivals, and then we're going to put together our distribution deal and figure out who's going to try to make us some money with the movie. Um, and uh, with with normal types, you can watch it on uh, Amazon and iTunes. Um, we will probably be changing aggregates uh, and going with um, a company called uh, Indie Rights, uh, which I've been heavily communicating with over the last few months. And they just they it seems like they run a really good show over there. They're in the Cannes Film Festival right yeah. now, selling a bunch of other movies. Yeah. Indie Rights is a fantastic company, and I've. <clears throat> I've run that route with another aggregate. I won't say their name, but yeah. it did not work out well. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much it. Amazon and iTunes for normal types and hopefully also the YouTube. same. You can also watch it on YouTube. Can you? Yeah. That last time I checked. Normal could. types? Yeah. Oh, I need to, <laughs> I need to yeah, give. That's how, that's how I was able to watch it. Are you serious? Yeah. I didn't even know that. I don't, who has it on YouTube? They must have, the aggregate must have put it on YouTube. I didn't even know. I, I it, was, it was free ninety nine. Was it? Yeah. Are you? Do you watch normal types for free on YouTube? No, three ninety nine. Oh, three nine. I thought you said free ninety nine. I no, thought you were no, playing no, with no. me. No. Huh. I gotta. Oh, no, okay. Three ninety nine. Maybe I, guess I should I have. I still need to work on my THs. I think you need to be my PR rep, man. You know more about my film than I do. <laughs> <laughs> And also, uh, for some of the short films that I've worked on, uh, you can check out uh, Shazzy Listed on YouTube and hopefully at some point 
uh, maybe I'll talk to the director to see if we could also uh, talk to Indie Rights and see if we could do that as well. Uh, even though it's a short film, but still, I mean. Indie Rights is awesome. I don't know if they do short films, but it's it's worth communicating with them and um, or just get on their website. You can yeah. see, and they have their own they have their own platform where they independently distribute. They also have a partnership with Roku. Um, so if you have a Roku subscription, you get access to all the indie rights films, I believe. Um, I've been talking with a fantastic director who did a movie called Frey. Uh, his name's Jeff. Oh, I forget his last name, but anyway, um, I've already met some really great filmmakers through indie rights and, uh, they're, they're, they're a nice family. Um, and so far it's just been awesome. And of course, a Star Racer on Vimeo. Thank you so much, Guivai. I really appreciate it. We should do this again. Absolutely. When I've got something else to talk about and you got some more projects, let's get back together. And uh, and hopefully we'll we can actually maybe even have it be like a film uh, film podcast, like film and also Absolutely. as well. Yeah, man. You got any ideas? Let me know. I, I love doing this stuff. It's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Levi, especially with your busy schedule. <laughs> My busy schedule of being upstairs and editing. <laughs> All good? Yep. All right.